Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And today, Father, this is just a thought that I had been having for a while. And I wanted to kind of use this space to discuss it. And it is so often what we have from companies in society that are trying to do something good. They will attempt to do whatever good works it is, you know, promote va- a value or a, a, a code of ethics, but almost universally they take God out of it almost as if they just don't want to say God or Jesus or whatever. Um, and I wanted to basically have that discussion because obviously on the one hand, they're attempting to create a better culture in their workplace For lots of reasons. Living a Christian life is better for society as a whole. And so as a result, there's going to be some underlying overlap. But the part that I wanted to discuss here was the danger of removing the acknowledgement of God out of the picture. And that was the starting point with where I wanted to, to take their day's direction and go from there. Yeah, it's a great uh, a great observation. And I remember a friend of mine was working as a manager for, you know, one of these big kind of nationwide chains and was telling me about a lot of the virtues that they were promoting for the managers to then pass on to the employees. And he my friend's a very devout Catholic and so he could recognize the virtue ethics that were being promoted and you know, it was everything except for the name of Christ, mm-hmm. uh, as you're pointing out, Joe. And um, so on the one hand, that's great. You know, I mean, it's it's great that uh, a system of virtues that is really inspired by Christ and thus also going to be the one that kind of contains the fullness of truth is being promoted. On the other hand, as you say, what happens when you remove the name of Christ? Because that's not just a name. It's not just like you know, we we didn't give proper credit to the trademark uh, owner or, you know, the copyright owner of the material. Uh, we, we can't really do it without him. So that's, uh, I was just thinking recently as I was reading through scripture, a number of different things that we've run into in the daily mass readings and the, uh, the liturgy of the hours. There are a number of Old Testament figures who start out well and end out, end up badly. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, illustrious people, even like Moses, who obviously started out well, but then didn't enter the promised land because he failed significantly along the way. And so brought him all the way up to the threshold, but God didn't let him enter in. Or you can look at someone like King Saul, who we're hearing about in the, I guess that's the Office of Readings primarily now. And, uh, you know, King Saul, who was the anointed one, he was the chosen one of the Lord. He was raised up from the the small tribe of Benjamin and made the great king, but then he fell prey to jealousy over David and he didn't carry out the Lord's command. Then he kept hold of idols and he kind of edged his bets in different ways and he ends up a total disaster. David himself, who starts out great is the, the anointed one, the chosen raised up from the tribe of Jesse and uh, the family of Jesse and, you know, defeats Goliath and becomes the great hero king 
and then you know kind of dissolves in a variety of ways falls into adultery with Bathsheba and kills her husband Uriah and gets involved in all kind of clan family warfare his son Solomon the same thing the great king of wisdom and he has you know the appreciation people come from all over the earth he builds the the temple he does all this stuff but then he falls prey to idols and has all these concubines and wives and anyway so just not to belabor that point too much but mm-hmm. uh king joash you know we can just keep going on in the old testament and and the thing i was thinking about you know what's missing in the old testament is the grace of redemption they don't have the grace of christ they don't have the the forgiveness and redemption that comes to us in Christ. It's it's only Christ that helps us to restore what was possible in the beginning. That's what we hear in his dialogue with the Pharisees. They say they talk about Moses's decree of divorce, and Jesus says basically Moses accommodated you because of your hardness of heart. But in the beginning, it was not so. Man and woman were meant to be together in an indissoluble bond that lasts the, their whole lives, and essentially that wasn't possible to live because they didn't have the grace of redemption but now with christ we do have the grace of redemption and by his grace we are able to live out the our response to god so having laid all that out coming back to your point joe what happens when we cut jesus out well we can't do it (laughs) Mm -hmm. we can we can develop certain virtues and we can grow in certain ways and there's a certain kind of natural humanism, secular humanism, which has some admirable qualities and has some good starting points, but ultimately it's lacking coherence. It's lacking a kind of whole cloth approach because it's missing the theological virtue of charity. Ultimately what holds everything together is God's love for us and thus the redemption and the grace of transformation that goes with that and then our love for God, which is what the, the virtue of charity is about. And so if we don't, just depending on our human virtues alone, without the grace of Christ, without his virtues, we just can't do it. We're, we, we just end up, we always, we're like the universe, which is oriented to entropy. You know, it's always falling apart. We're always moving into greater chaos. It's only God, it's only Jesus Christ who, who reverses that process definitively. And, and that's where we need him. So, again, there's a value to it, but there's a fundamental flaw in it that plays itself out over time because it starts to, to find an orientation in money, for example. Uh, why do we want to have a good workplace? Why do we want to have virtuous workers? Well, because it improves the bottom line. You know, mm-hmm. it's ultimately going to cycle around to becoming the point of the whole thing. And that's simply not a, a reason that can sustain our efforts. So, uh, the, yeah, there's a danger there. It's a, a blessing. Now, someone might might be, a, you know, really believe in, in Jesus and really be doing it for all the right reasons and is making those things available to non-believers, although with the possibility of sharing with them uh, the faith. And so it's not to say there there's uh, it's all bad. You know where everything is doomed, but it yeah it really can't sustain itself without without the Lord. Yeah, because going through it, it was one of those things where, kind of as I started out, it makes you better <laughs> whenever you follow the faith. Mm-hmm. You run better businesses when you're truthful, 
whenever you're trying to take care mm-hmm. of your employees and they want to be there and they're happy. And the best way to do that is basically doing the way that the faith teaches you to do it. And it just, it just gets to me that people go, well, what are the benefits of you going to church? But you learn these develop these skills and become close to the way Jesus did it. Yes, you're going to get more money out of it because you'll get better at being your manager. Your company will run better. But part of going through that process of learning is that might have been the gold nugget that made you start looking to become a better manager, more profitable, better salesman, whatever. But as you get into it, you realize that that's nothing compared to the processing that you're building up by living the message. And that's the, I guess that's, that's the part that I'm trying to, to, to get across here, you know, with so much going on out there is that's highlighted by the negative. You know, one of the things that we do here in America is we've ripped things down like crazy, really, really good at that, especially ripping down people. Um, not so much so on the rebuilding it. And uh, I think that's part of why I'm drawn to my business. I get to rebuild houses all the time after ripping hmm. down or to, or doing you know, the demo work. And it just seems that for whatever reason or another that there doesn't seem to be a buildup of this aspect that we'll use what we can as far as having a functional society where people don't lie. They, you know, they stop at red lights. They're courteous enough to each other, but we're not going to identify the reason and the glue behind it. And it just kind of seems a little fluttered. You know, I, that's just, just throwing it out there as far as, as, as how to improve it and, or whether there should be a, like, I, I get why government needs to have a separation of religion and, and state. You don't want to make one law that says everyone has to be one religion. Everyone has to be this and that. Cause that, that ultimately leads to problems and defeats free will as we have discussed many times in the past. So I understand that portion of it. And I also understand a company side that says, I don't want to alienate any potential customers by being only promoting one religion and they may not be a part of it. So I don't want to alienate that. So again, getting back to what you're saying, money being a driving force behind it. But I'm looking to see if there's a way that, you know, we can start reintroducing Jesus into America. Long story short. And obviously that's part of this podcast is why we've been doing this for over a year and, and, and trying the goal of it. But I'm just trying to figure out some action steps that all of us can do in our everyday lives to, to make it happen. Well, and I think we're inspired by some of the companies that are more explicit about that, right? I mean, everybody knows Chick-fil-A is run by Christians. Yeah. Right? You yeah. Know, I mean, it's it's possible to have a business. And, and to you know, I'm sure that Chick-fil-A doesn't only hire Christians, nor do they require everybody to go to church on Sunday, you know? And and that's where – so you, you use that magical phrase, separation of church and state, which actually doesn't exist anywhere in the Constitution or in the, in the you know, the law of America. But uh, that uh, – I think that was ultimately it – was, it was used in a kind of small-time speech by Thomas Jefferson or something like that. He, he said something about separation of church and state. Anyway, it's a, 
it's a catchphrase that has has fueled uh, the justification of of separating the church off into its own sphere, you know, to not have any influence on the state, which is never the point. The uh, actually the the founding that the Bill of Rights says that the state will not establish any particular religion, any state religion, nor prevent the establishment of any particular religion. So it's uh, it, the way that it often does prevent the establishment of religion or, or the influence of religion is, is really arguably against the First Amendment. So, but the point is, um, you know, we can, well, we have to learn how to be Christian and unabashedly Christian without uh, taking, without, without disadvantaging others or forcing that on them. So always proposing, never imposing, but we have to at least propose and we have to witness and, and be ready to admit that we're Christians and these are the values that we live by and this is where we get them from. Why are we afraid to tell people that we're going to pray for them? I mean, it's amazing. My experience is that people are really open to it. You know, we, we have this fear of rejection and, um, you know, or that somebody's going to feel imposed upon or, oh, there are lots of very friendly ways to tell other businesses or whatever. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't work on Sundays because that's uh, something I hold really important is to keep that day holy for the Lord. Or, God bless you. Thanks for being so honest. You know, I really appreciate your integrity. I'm going to pray for you that things work out for you. You know, like, why are we afraid to say those things? Uh, but we've we've so systematically removed some of those phrases from our vocabulary that we're they're anxious to you know that everybody's going to feel offended by our our Christianity and I just don't think it's true. So I'm always I don't know I I try I travel around everywhere in my habit and uh, I'm wearing my religion on my sleeve literally. Mm-hmm. So, and I just don't find people being offended. I mean, they're usually interested. Um, you know, I'm sure if I started going after them, and I do like to ask, you know, raise the question sometimes. People will come up to me and, oh, you know, I, I was sitting in a restaurant and this waitress came up and said, oh, we, we were wondering what, what you are. And, and uh, I said, well, I'm a, a monk, a, a Catholic priest. And then I said, what are you? <laughs> and... Oh well, oh I, you know, I was uh, well. I used to be Catholic. I, I haven't been. I'm Catholic. I haven't gone to church. And I said, well, why aren't you going to church? You know, I just like turn it right around. It's, mm-hmm. They're interested. I'm interested. Why can't we have a discussion about this? And I was, I didn't want to make her feel uncomfortable, but you know, it's nice to raise those questions from time to time. And sometimes people just stop going because nobody asks. So mm-hmm. anyway, there are a lot of ways that we can just get more comfortable in our own skin and slough off this kind of, it's really an anti-religious, especially anti-Christian atmosphere that's being promoted by really the religion of secularism. Mm -hmm. This idea of casting God out, of doing business, you know, that money is the center and the self-exaltation or these, anyway, there's a whole religion of secularism that pushes against and, and combats against Christianity. So, we need to not be defeated by that and and offended and affected by that, but just be naturally ourselves and not afraid to promote our values and the reason for them. Yeah, going off of what you said, two thoughts had come to me. 
first off, every society I've ever read about that has gone down that route of pushing God away and going for secularism has universally ended in one form of genocide or another. The communists did it like crazy throughout the Soviet Union. The Cubans did it. The Chinese did it. Every single group that did it. Now, they usually use the banner of communism, but even the ones that didn't. Everyone who has universally gone to destroy the family, which is their other way of doing it, destroy the family and become a secular state, has ended in mass murder. And that's true fact. You can look up pretty much every... Until you find an example where that didn't happen, I'm pretty sure it's a byproduct of the two. So that was one. And it's uh, the second thing you brought up there was... Um, I guess maybe because of my thoughts of preparing for this one was Chick-fil-A. I was actually talking to a guy who's got a high school kid looking for his first job. They said, yeah, he's thinking about going into fast food. And I go, well, where, where do you want him to apply for? Because there's no debate. It's Chick-fil-A. You know, it's by far and away the best run one. And I sat back and thought of it. I was like, yeah, that's not even close once you actually think about it. You might get a particular location here or there of any particular place, but as far as a universal outcome, you know, the, the, there's no doubt that the people at the Chick-fil-A are treated better than, you know, on the whole, virtually every other fast food one I can think of. Um, so I bring those together because I think that those are the two opposite extremes that are going off of, of the conversation here is that, you know, there is a danger in and not bringing up God anymore. And it's also kind of a, how do you approach that, that topic? How do you get the, the conversation going? You know, it's kind of easy at a big milestone event, like a wedding. Like obviously you're in a church, you just got married. That's kind of obvious. You know, we're going to talk about Jesus, but like you're running the mill trip, you know, you're, you're with a couple of guys going to watch a game or something, you know, you know, I have no idea what they're, habits are in terms of going to church or whatnot and i you know never really brought it up or thought about it so um i guess that's how to broach yeah. that if it's something you seem you know that should be broached see if if you if there's a will there's a way you know it's it's uh so easy to come up with ways to just raise the issue somewhat innocuously i mean you're watching a game on a saturday and you ask the guys you guys go to church usually on Saturday? <laughs> you going to church tomorrow? Um, you know, and and people, I, I find that they've usually made some peace with wherever they are. Yeah, you know, I used to do that. I went to church quite a bit, and I just really haven't been in a while. And do, you, do you go to church? No, I mean, that's the kind of conversation. It's not like somebody's going to get, you know, flip out and, and storm off or something like that because you mentioned church, right? I mean, we just have these kind of insane, like, oh, my gosh, it's just like this wet blanket's going to fall on the whole atmosphere and everybody's going to feel uncomfortable. And pff, somebody's going to say, yeah, I don't know about that. You got some more dip over there? Do you have a beer? You know, I mean, like, there's no issue. Nobody cares. Nobody's nobody's worried about it. And But – but sometimes, you know, you ask a question like that, and it can stir a little conversation. And if you, without being uh, an irritant, you know, you can kind of keep the subject going a little bit like, oh, when, you know, 
is there a reason you stopped going or 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 you can just take that opportunity you've now introduced your own uh made your own introduction for it yeah you know i i started slacking off a little bit a couple years ago and i started up again it's been great you know me and teresa it's really brought us a lot closer it's been the great you know the foundation of our relationship and you should think about it right now we've just had a great there's there's a nice uh, little entree into mm-hmm. that that space. Uh, so I think there are a lot of easy ways to just raise the issue if we want to, and that's where I think we need to look into our own hearts and say, what are we afraid of, or why are we not convinced enough, or uh, you know, what what's what's holding us back? Do we not feel like that's part of what we are called to do as Christians? We're not really Christian if we're not evangelizing. Every disciple must also be a missionary. This is the the clearest message from 2,000 years of Christianity, and it's been amped up in volume, especially in the last 50 years, as we've really turned the church toward a missionary spirit. So we've really got to ask ourselves, how deep is my faith if I'm not raising these conversations, if I'm not raising these questions with people if I'm not making some effort to share that faith with others. And yeah, I mean, obviously going back through the last year of having these recordings, you know, my personality is, is the kind of wanting stuff done and, and what are the benefits therein? And, and you know, that's, that's obviously been something we've tried to discuss a lot about trying to get things accomplished and what can you do and the benefits you get throughout it. And, you know, unfortunately, it's not as, it's very subtle. It's not very sudden where you can just go, this this magical big change has happened. Um, and it's not. And I guess part of it is because I don't think I fully understand it. I'm going through it. I can tell that it's, my life as a whole is better than it was prior. But, and I can feel it. But how to... There, there's not like the sacraments obviously are big mileposts, but as far as the closest of any other individual relationship, I don't know how to say that there's this big thing that you can just tell. Um, and I don't even know if I'm articulating this this well or right. It feels like a couple of jambled thoughts that I'm trying to put together here, and just there's such an over coming of of a calmness that as you start getting closer to to, to God and you know there's so many times I've I've been in a church where something was bothering me a lot for a while and I just couldn't figure it out and then you know in, in the stillness of a mass you know maybe the walking over between the first and second reading or something like that like a thought will just pop in my head and it'll just be the solution that I was looking for that, that wasn't coming along Mm -hmm. and almost to the point now where I'm expecting it. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And I guess that's, that's why you say you, you you trust Jesus. I trust in you because it turns worrying down to a degree that is so, so massive. And it also gave me another thought, which, it's kind of a one-off aside that I don't think would have been long enough for an entire cast. But it was just one question. 
if there wasn't God, why would we have guilt? Because inherently, at least in myself, I only feel guilt when I know I did something that was wrong and it was a result of sin. And I don't think that if you lit, lived in a world where there was no God, that, that you'd have guilt. It would just be a power struggle to get whatever you want. Um, and that's a, that, that's a thought I had. I, I know that kind of went a little, a little random there, but, but that's a, that's just a thought I had. Yeah. Well, it's uh one of the ways that we can understand the existence of God, which is not something that requires faith to believe in the existence of God is something that's accessible to our, our reason alone. And one of the, the directions we can take is that question of good and evil. Why do we have a sense of good and evil? Why do we have a sense that there's a right and wrong? How can there be morals and ethics if there isn't any source of those morals and ethics? And we can look at the civilizations. I mean, every human civilization has had the same code of morals and ethics. I mean, how is that possible? That's not just influence. When we find the, you know, the people, the Aborigines in, in Papua New Guinea and find that they have the same code of ethics that everybody else has had, you know, or you find, you compare the Chinese to the Greco-Roman, the East to the West, the whatever, you know, I mean, uh, there's there's been a consistency in all of that. Essentially, the Ten Commandments, the uh, the Code of Hammurabi, a sense of justice, of, of equality. So, yeah, where, where does all that come from? I mean, there must be something that exists prior to us. It's not just random. So um, now in terms of discovering the God of Jesus Christ and the Trinity, well, there's an additional piece to that. I mean, there's a revelation that has to be trusted and received through the virtue of faith. Uh, so that takes us another step forward, builds on that foundation, that ethical foundation. But you're right, the, the human psychological response of guilt to doing what is wrong is a one witness. It's the witness of our conscience that there's, some, that there's a law greater than ourselves. We're not the lawmaker. We are the law receiver and the law follower. We're not the lawmaker. And so guilt testifies to the existence of a lawmaker, a law greater than ourselves. And that points to a uh, divine being. That's beautiful. So thank you for answering my question, first off. Because <laughs> like I said, that was something that had, that had come into me during church about trying to, to figure it out. Because, you know, I, I do think that part of the reason that people would stop going is because they're losing that sense of, of why to go and why it is important. And uh, I wanted to take, I appreciate you taking today's time to, to try to inject about why it's important to bring it back in to the rest of our lives daily. So with that being said, Father, thank you for doing today's cast. I thank everyone out there for listening. Please continue to follow us on Twitter at Father and Joe. And please give us the reviews that you have been. We're getting big jumps every time you guys give us a review on each of your individual subscription services. So thank you guys very much, and we'll be with you next week.